I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. In business and in life, you will fall and you will fail. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You have to learn how to be unstoppable. You have to take every failure as a learning experience, get back up, and use that to be better and stronger. My next guest knows that all too well. Today, I am joined by my friend, Anthony Lacavera. Anthony is a wildly successful entrepreneur and investor. Anthony's entrepreneurial journey started in 1998 when he founded Global Live. He then went on to co-found Enunciate Conferencing, which was acquired in 2006 for $30 million. In 2008, Anthony founded the wireless carrier WinMobile. Win was later acquired by Shaw Communications for $1.3 billion in 2015. In 2018, Anthony founded Global Life Technology, a software development company focusing on commercializing blockchain and artificial intelligence technologies, where he also serves as chairman and CEO. Anthony has led Global Live to raise almost $2 billion in private capital to bring more competition to the telecommunications industry. So he's a little bit impressive and knows a thing or two about business and investing. Now, what shocked me when I first met Anthony a few years ago was just how exceptionally brilliant and kind and humble this man is. He is motivated by making the world a better place. Today, we chat about his journey of entrepreneurship. He shares with me his greatest failures and how he navigated and learned from them. And just like the name of his book, How We Can All Win. This chat is a little blip of genius. So listen in. And if you haven't, please make sure to subscribe. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for joining me today. Emily, thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled to have you here because I've been following your career for quite a few years now, actually. Well, I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely ups and downs. (laughs) Yeah. So if there are listeners that aren't familiar with you, would you tell us a bit about who Anthony is and how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. So I've been a tech business founder and CEO my whole career, back from when I started when I was about 22 years old. So over the last 20 plus years, I've been founding or co-founding companies that build technology and services for the telecommunications market, both wireless carrier market and also the business and consumers and also into the traditional telephone network service providers. So we've got a number of big carriers as our customers, and we've also operated brands that sell directly to consumers and and businesses. Mm -hmm. The different businesses that you founded have been in a wide variety of different genres. What was your first business in 98? That was a web development company? Yeah, that one wasn't really, uh, that was kind of a small business that I was involved in. The first business that I really founded was in the telecom business was in the prepaid and postpaid calling card market. So back in the day, this goes back like before internet calling, Mm -hmm. way back in the day, people used calling cards, if you remember remember those. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it's kind of really sounds funny to say it today, but that was like huge then. 
And so we were first to market with calling card platforms that were automated. We were first to market with teleconferencing platforms that were automated. Instead of using an operator to organize conference call, we built software to make it an automated platform. We were first to market with using internet for business phone lines instead of using the traditional copper phone network. So in the Canadian market, we had a number of firsts. And then we, of course, took that so the software that we built and built business around the world with it, more supplying carriers. So in Canada, we were selling direct to consumers and businesses. And abroad, we were selling more to carriers that were ultimately selling to consumers. Mm-hmm. And then did you exit those different companies? Yeah. So as I said, the top of the conversation was definitely a big up and down roller mm-hmm. coaster as so many entrepreneurs face. Definitely had my fair share of failures. I had, you know, three businesses that I want two that I founded, one that I co-founded that were like absolute zeros. So I've had really? my fair share of, yeah, I have had my fair share of failures too. Of course, Emily, mm-hmm. you know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy to say that uh, in the end after kind of 20 plus years of building and operating businesses as a CEO, I've stepped back and sold the businesses, the operating businesses in the past several years. I've been investing solely really in early stage technology companies. And it's been super fun hanging around with, you know, much younger and much faster and brighter entrepreneurs than myself and learning a Mm -hmm. bunch of new things from them. It's been an amazing, obviously, transformation of technology in the last 20 years. So as an investor, is there certain industries that you're focusing on? Yeah, what I know and what my team knows is software and the telecom business. So we typically invest in software companies, software as a service companies, so-called SaaS companies. We invest in the pre-seed and series A rounds of various technology companies. We've made over 100 investments you know, over the past number of years, and there's currently over 50 companies in my venture portfolio. Mm-hmm. So we're very active in, in the early stage investment community and love just kind of looking at software businesses that are solving a unique problem in whatever market. Mm -hmm. So whether it's hospitality or it's manufacturing or it's healthcare, there's so many great innovations happening with software as a service. And of course, in more recent years, the whole theme has been around artificial intelligence and machine learning. So we've made a big push into investing into early stage companies that have a machine learning capability that's like taking a traditional business model, you know, in whatever market. So I'll use financial services as an example. We have a number of investments in fintechs. And instead of you know lending money in a traditional way, you use now machine learning to start to predict where the best customers are and how to best upsell those customers and how to best detect customers that are likely to have a problem with credit. And so you using these predictive models and machine learning, you can really start to improve your business very quickly because, of course, the machine has the ability to know all the numbers all the time and mm-hmm. do the analysis on all the numbers all the time. What are some of the quick tips that you would give for entrepreneurs that are looking to get investors? You know, I actually, honestly, I, and this is going to maybe sound cliche, kind of boring, but I believe in the, and what's worked for me is like, I never started with any you know, special connections or I didn't have any capital at all when I started out a long time ago and I didn't have any brand equity or track record or anything like that. And so it was really about those classic things you hear about that you, Emily, yourself as an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur, you know, really well, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, discipline and perseverance and good old fashioned, like hard work and servicing your customers, you know, and being really on top of that. And it's all those things that are like, I guess people say are cliches or obvious things. Those things really matter. And I think that that's been the key to my success is just 
you know, those perseverance and, and consistent approach and discipline and all those things. Yeah. So now I'm like looking for founders that are like, you know, I'm super, super more excited about a founder that clearly like so laser focused and hustling and hardworking than I am about like someone who might have the best idea, but just mm. doesn't give me the feeling that this is a person that's really going to go the distance. Because what's for sure is that it's not going to go as you planned. I've yes. never seen a business go as planned. <laughs> and so having the ability to power through that, have strength when things look really rough and things are going really badly to be like really strong and the strongest in those moments is really the key for success. So, you know, there's a lot of sayings around it, but I would choose a C or D graded idea with an A founder versus an A plus idea with a C or D founder. Mm, wow. For sure. <laughs> so what led you to building Win Mobile? Like why telecom? Well, it's interesting, you know, because people have asked me that and people say, like, are you actually suicidal <laughs> going up against <laughs> big, big incumbent, right? you know, <laughs> entrenched monopolies, you know, are you really crazy? <laughs> and sometimes I ask myself that as well, actually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but no, the truth is that it's actually a very exciting opportunity because those companies have been entrenched for, you know, in many cases, over a hundred years, you look at companies like Verizon or, or AT&T or Vodafone or Orange or, you know, those companies have been around for a very, very long time and have, you know, a really entrenched position in the marketplace. And because of that, for no fault of their own, they've become quite large. And sometimes as a result of that, they can't react very quickly mm-hmm. as technology is evolving. They can't react super quickly to new opportunities. So that creates an opening for a small, nimble player The key thing is, is that I always draw the analogy of like, you know, quite literally, it's like being in a small speedboat, but there are like big tankers all around you. And so if you get caught in someone's wake or you get caught in someone's draft, like it could really go badly. So it's really all about maintaining that speed and nimble nature of the business. And that's what I think has been one of the cornerstones of success in my businesses is being super fast and nimble. And with Wind Mobile, which was a consumer wireless carrier, we had all of our own network and wire cell towers and stores across Canada. That business was super fast at pivoting and staying you know, out of the way of the incumbents, but still capturing a lot of market share. So we were the first to introduce unlimited data plans in the Canadian market. Mm-hmm. We were the first to introduce unlimited U.S. roaming in the Canadian market. And U.S. roaming in the Canadian market is huge because Canadians love going to the U.S. Yeah. And roaming was very expensive. So there was like a couple of innovations that we put out there that was like really like leading edge, but also very difficult for the big incumbent operators being Bell Canada and Rogers and TELUS in Canada to really react to us. So we were able to grow really rapidly throughout the business's uh, history for that reason. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's really about that, that the opportunity telecommunications market is a huge market. Obviously in wireless today, wireless is like many people would say their wireless phone is more important to them than their car. <laughs> you know, many people say wireless, you know, and it is really the cornerstone of, of economic productivity now. It's, it's the way we communicate. So mm-hmm. I like that aspect of it where you're sort of doing something that literally everybody consumes, you know, so you don't have to capture, you know, that much market share to build a big business since it's such a big part of everyone's life. Yeah, that's true. Now, is it the fourth biggest in Canada? Yeah, we sold it about three years ago Mm -hmm. and it is now, yeah, it is the number four carrier in Canada. It's 
you know, obviously been a very successful business for, you know, it's worked really well and it provides a really important service in the marketplace, which is sort of good value for money with a challenger brand. You know, it's really getting out there and offering consumers a true, you know, independent alternative, which is really good for everybody, whether you're a customer or not, because the big incumbents are forced to innovate a little bit faster as a result of, of the presence in the market. So, I mean, you see this in every market around the world. I mean, we've had operations at Globalize, my company, we've had operations in over 30 countries and, you know, investments all over in the telecom world. And, you know, you see it always is when there's a really good challenger brand, like the whole market gets pushed in a direction that's beneficial to consumers and businesses in that market. Um, So I'll take one example. We had an investment in two degrees in New Zealand, which is like, the challenger brand in New Zealand, and we still have that investment. And I was on the board for a number of years. That company is like positioned again as like good value for money. And then the traditional incumbent, which was the monopoly phone company that had a wireless carrier, they were really like up to their game. And, you know, it was good and bad for us because they were ended up being a much tougher competitor than we expected. But on the other hand, like all Kiwis, you know, have a much better cell service as a result at a much better cost. So it's really cool to see that kind of economic development. And in Bolivia, very similar situation where it's one of the poorest countries in South America. There's, you know, limited LTE or 4G wireless networks. And and there's the, all these direct links that the World Bank has and all these studies, independent studies that show like when you have cost-effective wireless networks, you have a really good, strong economic growth platform. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel really good about being able to contribute in a, in a country like that by way of investing in, it's called Tel in Bolivia. So that's, you know, kind of what's cool about telecom is that it touches everybody. And if you do it well, you can have a positive impact on everybody. Mm-hmm. From the outside looking in, it would look like you are just this hugely successful entrepreneur, which you are, but you talk about the rough patches and some of the bad moves you made. What were some of the big ones that you had to go through? Yeah, for sure. So I think, as I said earlier, I've got, you know, I had three where I, you know, founded a business that just was a complete zero and and they all failed (laughs) for different reasons. And I lost, you know, a lot of money. And the first one, which I really messed up was in 2003. So a long time ago, I had this idea that we could replace all of the, pay phones, if you remember like pay phones way back mm-hmm. in the day, they were still really like, they were still like everywhere in 2003. I was thinking, okay, like no one's going to pay for these anymore because there's obviously cell phones now. Yeah. So like, let's you know turn them into a free phone and make them advertising driven. And okay. to me, it was like a really good idea, a really good evolution. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Emily, I could not get a single person, a single advertiser excited about that. And I was at a stage in my career, I was much younger then. So I was, you know, maybe five years into my career at that time. And I was like, I would just not give up. I just kept trying to like, <laughs> to use today's lingo. I kept pivoting and pivoting to, you know, today's mm-hmm. common lingo with, with tech founders. I pivoted like a thousand times. Okay. The today version of me would have just killed that business much more quickly. Hmm. I said, look, this is not working. There just isn't a market product market fit here, but I didn't do that. I kept trying and trying and trying. So that was like stubbornness. My biggest lesson on that one was like, sometimes it's, you know, not good to just keep pivoting. Sometimes it's just kill it and, you know, start over is kind of a better mm-hmm. option. So, you know, where it took me three years to wind that business up, 
you know, as a total failure and at the time, much more money than I should have ever invested in it today. I would, you know, it would have been, you know, less than a year. I would have been like, this just obviously doesn't work. Let's stop it. You know what I mean? And I would have saved a whole bunch of money, but more importantly, I saved a whole bunch of time, which gets me to my second failure, which ended up being like a reasonably good outcome financially, but it took me a staggering amount of time. And so you start to do this like math around your life, like how much time do you really have to do something? And I've, you know, thought about it. And if you think about your life in terms of years, you have really like 70, hopefully useful, really good years. That's like 25,500 days. And that's like 600,000 hours, but we're humans. So we have to eat and sleep and relax at least like a third of the time. So you have 400,000 hours in your entire life to make the impact on the world that you want to make. That's like terrifyingly short amount of time, right? Yeah. I've never thought like, of it that way. Really, <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's like when you really break it down, it's like, whoa, I really need to like get my act together. And, you know, and then, so that one was a failure, ended up like not losing all my money, didn't make any money, but it took a huge amount of time. And then the third one that I consider a failure, and many people are surprised to hear me say this is actually wind mobile, which was a one where I actually made a really, really good financial return, but I didn't have the business outcome that I wanted. What I wanted was to build an independent wireless carrier in Canada and really bring Canadians a long-term, true competitive alternative to the big monopoly and oligopoly that exists in every market. And I was successful in doing that, but then unfortunately, my investors were not able to stay in Canada for a whole lot of geopolitical reasons. I had some investors that were originated from Russia and some investors that originated from Egypt. And this is circa 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. There was obviously the Crimea invasion where mm -hmm. it became very problematic for Russians to be invested in Western markets. There's all kinds of sanctions. And the Egyptians as well, there was a time when the Muslim Brotherhood had taken over Egypt and that was a very difficult time for Egypt. So in those environments, unfortunately, my investors had to leave. And as a result, I had to, you know, recapitalize the business with financial investors. And of course, as soon as that happened, then the oligopoly that we were challenging immediately, you know, bought us out basically. Since then, obviously, it's become a much less competitive business and it's no longer a true independent alternative because it's owned by the oligopoly and they obviously have no motivation, you know, to really make a competitive, truly independent alternative. So that's kind of, you know, it, I mean, it's been really kind of every single one of them, like a very, you know, unique learning experience. And, you know, I don't regret any of those decisions or any of those businesses. And I, I'm obviously blessed, you know, to have gotten into a financial position that life is good, mm -hmm. but obviously, you know, this yourself as an entrepreneur, and, you know, you think about why does your business exist and you want, you know, most great founders and entrepreneurs. I know you're one of them. I'd like to think of myself as one. You know, we like to like have a positive, you know, impact on the world mm -hmm. of what we're doing 100%. in addition to making, you know, and so that's really a big part of the equation and so important, right? Leaving that legacy. Yeah. In a really positive way. I mean, there's bad legacies too. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love how you're so open about talking about the failures and, and that you embrace them. I do think that it is one of our best learning. Uh, oh, there's no question about it, you know? Yeah, there's no question about it. It's really such an important part of the process. And 
you know, it's to me what propels us forward if you look at it the right way. I mean, it's obviously no one likes getting knocked down. I have one right now that I'm working on that's been really a very difficult one. I'm not calling it a failure yet, but it's mm-hmm. been super difficult. And that is I, I started investing heavily in the blockchain oh, and, okay. and crypto. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that was like an incredible roller coaster where it was like, it got <laughs> so hot so fast. I was like, whoa, this is like really could be great or really could be bad. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, in the last 12 months, as, as we all know, it like just completely imploded. So I'm really struggling now to like get my investors and myself like into a stable situation in these blockchain investments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess the lesson for me on this one that I can see already is like, I sort of bought into the hype too much, you know, mm-hmm. like after all of my years of experience of like, don't, buy into hype, I made the mistake of buying into hype. <laughs> it's so hard not to. <laughs> it really is. It's so hard not to. You're right. <laughs> you're like such an idiot, right? If you miss it, you're like, oh, yes. how could I be so obvious? How did I miss that? You know? That was like with cannabis was that six years or five years ago when Aurora first came out and a friend of mine was saying, you got to invest in this company. And I was like, no, it's, you know, that's not going to happen. What? And I actually did talk to my accountant about it. I'm like, what do you think about this? And he was like, no, right. stay away from that. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so that was like, yeah, so you got some sort of anti-hype reinforcement too. Yes. <laughs> Oh my it was a bad decision. So now your book, How We Can Win. I've read a bit about it and I watched some of your interviews where you talked about it. But really, what is it about? Yeah, my book is all about what we need to do with Canada to really move Canada forward. So I'm Canadian. I know you are also. And, you know, super passionate about helping Canada achieve long-term prosperity. And so in my years of building businesses that operated in Canada and businesses that operated abroad, you know, a lot in the U.S., mm-hmm. I've seen these kind of distinct differences between the way we do business in Canada and the way we do business you know, abroad. And also learned a lot, obviously, as being Canadian and building business here, learned a lot about our investment community and learned a lot about our culture. And so what my book is about is what I believe Canadians and Canada need to do to be prosperous in the 21st century. You know, we've got a changing geopolitical environment, geosocial environment, economic environment, globalization, these trends and populism trends recently in politics and all these things going on. And where does Canada fit? And it really, I hope, has served as, book has been out for a couple of years now. And I feel like it started a really good conversation Mm -hmm. amongst Canadians about like, look, why aren't we just going for the top spot in business. I have this analogy mm-hmm. in the book where, you know, where we play for the bronze medal in Canada. We're, it's so know, true. <laughs> the only place we play for the gold medal is in hockey. <laughs> and if we lose in hockey, we don't think about like, oh my God, the U.S. market is so competitive for hockey. We don't think that way. We just go there and we expect to beat the U.S. even though they're 10 times our size. We expect to win. My book is about starting places, we have to change our mindset and expect to win because Canadians are generally intelligent, educated, decency. There's a decency in Canada about, you know, not leaving people behind. And the overall macro picture is so favorable for global commerce success. And yet we don't capitalize on it. Mm -hmm. We still have 75% of our exports going to the United States, meaning our economy is categorically and entirely entangled and dependent on the United States. 
And there's really the only reason for that is that we've been lazy. We've been like couch potatoes, not diversifying our trade. It's just so easy to trade with the U.S. Why go to Asia? Why go to Europe? So when you look at our, you know, we're an export economy and fully 75, 76% of our exports go to one customer. And, you know, you're a successful founder. I am like, you would never run your business with one customer being 75% of revenue. (laughs) You would be like, yeah, you would be like freaked out. Like, oh my gosh, my entire team is going to go. I have to lay everyone off. If this one customer goes, I Uh need to like diversify. So it's like so obvious. And yet that's how we're running our country. You know, no successful business person would run their business that way. And yet that's how Canada is run. And so I'm just kind of like shining a spotlight in the book on things like that and starting a conversation around how we can fix it. Cause I know we have all the smarts, all the goodwill, all the intellect and capability and the ability to hustle and things like hockey, we hustle, we have all the ability to do it. We just have to, you know, capture that feeling and go after it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of scary if you think about it that way. (laughs) It's insane, actually. (laughs) You know, everything that we count on for our kids, our education system, our healthcare system in Canada is reliant on our trade relationship for the United States. Hmm. Like no Canadian would feel secure if they really understood how precarious our situation is. And I'll, I'll amplify it. I don't want to become like a downer here in this, (laughs) um, you know, in this, but the stats are scary around it in that. Of everything we export to the United States, and again, they're 75% of our exports and we're an export economy, they have the same or multiple, like often three, four additional sources of the same things at the same or lower cost. So not only is one customer 75% of our revenue, that one customer does not depend on us in any way. Reciprocally, we are categorically dependent on imports from the U.S., you know, consumer goods, clothing, you know, manufacturing equipment, like go down the list of what the Canadian economy uses that's U.S. made. It's staggering. We can't operate without trade to the U.S. They can operate without trade with us. In fact, only about 8% of Americans, only 8%, 1 in 12, would even notice if they stopped trading with Canada. <laughs> Whereas our economy would be completely in ruins completely in ruins because it's literally like 25% of our entire GDP is trade with the U.S. So, you know, all of our programs that we value, all of our social programs, all of our education, all of our health care, all of everything that we love about the social safety net and what makes this company open, pluralistic, like diverse, tolerant, like an amazing place for people to come and build their lives. All those things are completely reliant on one trade relationship. And I just can't believe that with all of the smarts we have in this country that we haven't like just massively expanded our trade relationships further abroad. And there have been government efforts, but they've been so, they've fallen so, so far short of what's needed to really, you know, make Canada long-term successful in the 21st century. Hmm. Wow. Was this your first book? Yes. And I must say, I have a co-author, Kate Fillion, who's a, you know, award-winning author. She was like, this book would not have happened without Kate. Okay. <laughs> there was no way, there was no way a comp sci engineer was going to write this book on his own. <laughs> well, it's gotten um, amazing reviews all over the internet. Yeah. You know, it has actually, people like the book. It's not about me at all. It's entirely about Canada and what Canada needs to do to win in the global economy. And so Kate, I have to like, you know, hats off, kudos to Kate for bringing what started out really as just my ideas and 
she was like more and more and more into it. She actually started out as a ghostwriter of the book and she mm-hmm. became a co-author because she was like, throughout the process, she was like listening to my ideas and then researching them. And she's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea as a <laughs> Canadian that this is our situation. I mean, I love mm-hmm. this country too. We need to fix this. And so I was like, well, Kate, let's do this project together then. I didn't set out to, you know, have the sole authorship here. This is a group effort. So we ended up partnering on it and it was an amazing experience, like learning about her process and how to, you know, put something together that people actually enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll write another one? I don't know. <laughs> I'd love to have a book about you, you know, all about your stories and your journey. Yeah, I mean, definitely that's where it started. When I first started talking to our publisher, Penguin, Mm -hmm. they were like, you know, for sure your journey of bringing capital from abroad and like all the ups and downs and all the failures and all the successes and and your willingness to talk about them, that would be super interesting for people. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, maybe one day, but what's urgent right now is this conversation about Canada because I love Canada and I want to see it prosper. Mm -hmm. So maybe down the road. (laughs) So what's next for you? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one thing that I'm doing that I'm really enjoying right now is I co-host a TV show that airs on Bloomberg Television mm-hmm. in 73 countries to over 400 million homes. It's a really like global show about global innovation so and highlighting global innovation. It. Yeah, it reaches 400 million homes. I mean, it definitely has broad reach. <laughs> How many people actually watch it? I mean, that's a different discussion. <laughs> it definitely reaches a lot of people, but you know, <laughs> Bloomberg doesn't disclose actual ratings. So I'm always asking them like, okay, but you know what? How many people actually watch this thing? <laughs> but yeah, it does have a lot of reach. And so what's cool about it is like I'm meeting all these tech founders from around the world that have so many amazing stories. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like so much innovation in healthcare and robotics and artificial intelligence, machine learning and fintech and ed tech, you know, new education platforms that are like leaving no student behind and tailoring education to individual children, tailoring healthcare to individual people and making healthcare outcomes so much better because software and technology can tailor medicine to individual needs. And it's just like, go down the list of like what's going on in innovation with technology. And we're at the cusp now, and many people think in a very scary way, we're on the cusp of, you know, programming and building machines. (laughs) And great entrepreneurs like Elon Musk have said, like, that's the beginning of the end of our civilization. And on the other side of the spectrum, there's great entrepreneurs that have said like, wow, this is going to really propel humanity forward. And, you know, things like poverty and disease, like there's like an end in sight, you know, to the big sources of poverty and the big sources of disease, like food and food tech and how to make food, not something that's, you know, damaging the environment, not can we move everyone to plant-based diets that are actually enjoyable diets for everyone to eat and how much will that save the healthcare system and how much technology can help move the whole population away from all of these like horrifyingly bad diet habits that we have. And so just going on and on and on, it's just super exciting for me to meet founders and and we, you know, we shoot the show and all over the world. We shoot it in Hong Kong and in London and San Francisco and New York and Toronto. And so it's like also getting this global perspective of what's going on in innovation. And I love it. So that's what I'm working on these days. And I, I thought it was going to be like, okay, let's do a season, see how it goes. And now we're shooting season two and it was really well received and, you know, a bunch of other platforms now streaming platforms and so on. And so, yeah, we'll see where it goes. But for me, I've like learned more in the last 12 months, like than 
I learned, you know, in the previous, you know, 10 years, cause it's just been <laughs> like meeting, you know, these young founders that are like 20 years younger than me, so much faster, so much smarter, you know, <laughs> I love meeting um, all different founders. They all have uh, such different stories. Amazing story. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just it, right? That's just it. I'm sure you've encountered hundreds in your career, thousands. So you know exactly what I mean. Well, this show you're doing is fantastic for that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been super interesting. Just what drives so many different people. Even the yeah. last episode was, I talked with a friend, Mohammed Fakih, who founded Paramount Foods. And I don't know. Amazing you know story. Him. Yeah. Oh, sure. Amazing story. I'm a customer. I love his food. He <laughs> came here. Yeah. He immigrated here with nothing, ended up trying to help yeah. a struggling business. And then now this year, they'll make $100 million. It's unreal. There's actually one very close to where I live in Toronto. So I'm actually like, I wasn't joking. I'm actually a, I wouldn't say I'm a regular, but close. Mm-hmm. He <laughs> was saying the fact, cause he's very much driven to give back in every way possible. And he was saying that that's the key to his success is giving back in any way possible. And that it not only helps your top line, but it makes, you know, all your customers loyal to you and want to support you. For sure, that's what first got me going. I remember co-hosting a fundraiser with him for John Tory when John Tory was a mayoral candidate in Toronto. And, you know, he said that, that was like the, one of the first things, Emily, that he said to me, and I was like, I'm sold. Like, this is somebody who's looking at this, like what I love holistically, like how can I mm-hmm. help the world while I build a great business, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's also so many industries that now need to be disrupted. And some of the people that I've talked to are just starting that journey. I spoke with, I don't know if you know Trevor Coverico. That's not someone I know. He's the founder of a company. It's a big blockchain company. I believe he said it was the largest one in Canada, but just talking cool. about what they're doing and their mission. And yeah, it's just, it's all been being really, really fun. And yeah, I'm learning so much. Well, Sucking the brain on podcast. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's a great platform for you to, uh, you know, to talk to great people. So congrats. Thank you. So where can people find more information about you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. It's Anthony Lacavera. That's kind of my main social. I'm not a big social person. No. <laughs> um, but LinkedIn and Twitter I'm on and it's at Anthony Lacavera and Anthony Lacavera on LinkedIn. And, and my show is beyondinnovation.tv. And there's lots of background on me there and where to connect with me. And I'm obviously always really excited to hear from founders, emerging founders, both from an investment standpoint, but also from an opportunity to build them into our show. Fantastic. And the book can be purchased through Amazon, correct? Yes. The book is at Indigo and other bookstores in Canada, but also on Amazon.ca. And that's how How we can win and what happens to us in our country if we don't. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I know you are super busy, so I really appreciate it. Emily, thank you for including me and good luck. Keep building this out. Congrats on the rankings and I know you're going to make it a huge success. Thank you. 